Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is the man who played one game with the Boston Bruins, later coached the team for five seasons after concluding a successful playing career in the American Hockey League. From 1986 to 2019, he co-hosted Coach's Corner during CBC's Saturday Night NHL Hockey Broadcast with Ron McClain. Nicknamed Grapes, he's known for his outspoken manner and opinions, his flamboyant dress. By the 2018-19 season, he and McClain had hosted Coach's Corner for 33 seasons. He also created the video series Rock'em Sock'em Hockey, which you know took up tremendous space in my house year after year when it was on VHS, that's for sure. Uh, he was voted um, by viewers as the seventh greatest Canadian of all time in the CBC miniseries The Greatest Canadian. In March 2010, his life was dramatized in a two-part CBC movie, Keep Your Head Up, based on a script written by his son, Timothy. In 2012, CBS aired a CBC aired a sequel, The Wrath of Grapes. It is a thrill to welcome the one and only Don Cherry to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Coach. Hey, I sound like a pretty good guy there. I uh, <laughs> Keep going. That was pretty good, I gotta tell you. I'm doing good, thank you. That, that's great. So, you know what? First off, hockey's restarted and we're in the playoffs. And I have to imagine it's hard for you, as it's the first time in probably 40-some-odd years yeah. you're not in a booth somewhere talking about it. On top of everything else that's changed in the world, you know, so our views of normal are different, what has this particular weekend been like for you with hockey playoffs and you not in a booth somewhere? Well, I, I, I really feel strange that <laughs> when I see the, the, the hockey being played, and it's pretty good hockey, too, I have to admit. The NHL's done a great job. But um, it seems awful strange that I'm not uh, involved somehow. But I, I, I have my bo- podcast as, as Timothy and, I, and the Sunday, but um, it does seem strange after all these years uh, not to be you know, I mean, oh, I think I started in about eight in the eighties, early eighties, yeah. and got the gas, and uh, as they say, <laughs> as um, uh, last year. So I've been in a long time, and I do miss it. So we want to talk about your amazing career, but before we get that, let's get the big question out of the way. November 9th, 2019, during Coach's Corner, you made remarks that suggested Canadian immigrants benefit from the sacrifices of veterans and they do not wear remembrance poppies. You said, you people out there, you love our way of life, you love our milk and honey, at least you can pay a couple of bucks for a poppy or something like that. These guys paid for your way of life to you enjoy in Canada. These guys paid the biggest price. Now, surely that could have been taken as offensive. But over the course of 38-plus years, it's pretty mild to some of the other things you've said. You hired Don Cherry. You know what you're getting. So, in fact, I told the guys here, it's like you, you hire Tiger Williams. You don't expect him to be Wayne Gretzky. So were you surprised by the rapid backlash, the quick dismissal? And if you had to do that segment all over again, would you do it differently or issue an apology? Or was that even something that the CBC brought up after the fact? No, I would not. Uh, I, I, the apology that, uh, and funny, I'm reading a book on Vimy right now in the First World War, and uh, it just, uh, I, I, it, I, I cannot believe the, the things I've done before. <laughs> But I think I was. Uh, I think that uh, the way the world is today, I think people are a little sensitive like that. And 
Yeah, I still believe that they should have. Anybody that comes here should wear a poppy. Now, a poppy is um, we wear it on November Remembrance Day, and um, you know, and for and what it does is the money that was taken taken that it 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 uh, it helps the um, tr- troops and uh, their families and that. And yeah, I I I, uh, I, I said it, and I, I would not apologize then, and I'm not apologizing now. So we mentioned the two CBC movies. We were lucky enough to have your son Tim on when the, the first one premiered, as well as Jared Kiso, who played you in the film. Over the course of doing this show for 15-plus years, we always get to talk about coaches that had impact on a player's life. I remember while watching the film, um, and I realized as much as coaches, parents or a wife can have maybe the biggest impact. And I, I thought about you because I think without Rose, Don Cherry never gets that one game in the NHL and never gets a chance to coach in the NHL. If I recall in the film, you moved something like 53 times during your life. What did Rose's belief and the sacrifices she made for you mean in the terms of your hockey career? You know, it's funny. I was thinking about that today. I don't know why, but I was. And I was thinking about uh, when I come home and told her I was playing for Springfield Indians, which was uh, was the Devil's Island of of all hockey. <laughs> they used to send people there. They used to, and New York used to send guys there if they were bad. Phil Watson, some of the guys, people would remember him. Anyhow, he used to send them there if they were bad. And I was sent down to a lower league. And I remember I come home and told Rose we're going to Three Rivers. Now she came from Hershey, Pennsylvania, and you know it is is a beautiful spot in, in Pennsylvania. And she's where the hell is where is where is Three Rivers, Quebec? And I said I don't know, but we're going to go there. And you know she could have gone home to her mother and um, and, uh, and everything. And I packed up the car, and I'll never forget uh, watching her pack the car. That we had a we had a cardboard box. And I remember putting in uh, half of the sugar and, and half of the <laughs> corn syrup and ketchup and stuff like that. We couldn't throw it away because we couldn't afford it. And she stuck with me for all those years uh, and traveling around 53 times, believe me. And when I come home and say, well, we've been traded again, we've been <laughs> traded again. And uh, ne- never complain once. Never complain once. And I have to laugh now when I hear the, the wives of the players now uh, they they get traded and oh they just feel so bad they're moving from one million dollar house to another million dollar house. <laughs> oh, you're absolutely right. I would never. Um, and we used to drink pretty good back in those days. And some of the guys that are listening now remember we used to drink pretty good. And uh, you know, instead of having ten beers, I'd have eight beers and come home. So you're absolutely right. I would never have uh, been the coach the Boston Bruins. I would never have had the chance uh, to coach the Boston Bruins. You played your junior hockey with the Barry Flyers and the Windsor Spitfires in the Ontario, Ontario Hockey League. You won the Memorial Cup as a defenseman with Barry in 1953. You dropped out of high school, and in 1954, you signed with the American Hockey League's Hershey Bears, where your first head coach was Murray Henderson. And, and looking at Henderson's life and career, he seems like a guy to me that you must have had a lot of respect for. He played your position for eight years in the NHL. He was a former member of the Royal Canadian Air Force. He was stationed on the Pacific Coast where he flew patrol missions. He was a nephew of hockey royalty, the Conacher brothers, Roy, Lionel, and Charlie, who were all inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. What was your takeaway for playing for Murray? I remember when, when I first went there, I watched him play, and I thought, holy smokes, he doesn't make the National Hockey League. And he was a player coach back then. I'll never forget him. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was tough back then. There were six teams. Only six teams, and they carried five defensemen, so that was 30. 
I think there's 300 right now that's in the National Hockey League. So the first thing when I saw him was uh, not the, you know his war record or anything, because he's not in the National Hockey League. But he was a real gentleman, and I think he was there for two years. And then we had Frank Mathers, and, ho- and he was a player coach, and he was even better. So it was tough making the National Hockey League back in those days, I'll tell you. But uh, I remember Murray Henderson. I-, I-, I knew he was in the Army. I didn't know all that that you just said. So the first season in the AHL, the Bears, despite winning a pair of games in the final weekend, miss out the playoffs, actually for the first time in five years. You, as well as Norm Cochran and Gordy Wilson, get called up. You get to play in the playoffs against Montreal. Tell me what you remember about who told you that you were getting called up and everything you know surrounding that one game. It was a funny thing. I forget who told me. I think there was a coach told me, uh, Corcoran and I, uh, Normie, we were going up. And um, we went up, and I, I didn't expect to play. I think we get a hundred bucks a game, and I, I think Warren Godfrey hurt his wrist or something, or Fernie Flamin, and uh, I played and I started. Now before the game, uh, uh, Milt Schmidt was the coach, and he told Hal Lakel, who was playing, who had really been carved up by Rocket Richard, that he was that he was going to stand in honor Rocket Richard. And Rocket was the guy who was suspended for the playoffs. So I've kind of kind of it. Kind of get involved here, but Rocket was uh, he was suspended for the playoffs for hitting Laco, and Laco had to stand and honor him being the second. It was unbelievable, and I was I was at center ice. I was just a kid, nineteen year old kid, and I remember Bernie Jeffrey on Boom Boom Jeffrey on. He won the scoring title, and he come on the ice, and every and everybody booed in Montreal. I couldn't understand that. And, and Rocket Richard come on right after, and Rocket Richard got a standing ovation. And they told me after that um, Boom Boom uh, passed uh, the Rocket by for three or four points. But and not, not till he should have let the Rocket win the, the scoring championship because that was the only time. It was unbelievable. And um, I took a regular shift. Uh, I don't think I was on for any gold. And uh, that was my one game. And then I, I played baseball, which I love. I love baseball. I still think Jim Kelly got too many games. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, um, I broke my shoulder, and and they they had told me not to play baseball, and like a fool, I did play, and I was destined for the next sixteen years in minor hockey. After that, well, yeah, because it's interesting because you read all the accounts of that series, and you read what Coach Schmidt said after that game. And he was counting on the three of you to be part of the team going into that next season. Um, you injured your, your foot playing baseball, um, and, and that really changed the, your entire career for sure. Uh, you play almost 20 years playing in the minor leagues. The list of coaches and teammates are pretty impressive. Some of the coaches were Frank Mathers, Punch Imlock, Lynn Sonmore, Pat Egan, and a, mu- a huge majority of your game under Joe Crozier. Which coach had the greatest impact on the way you saw the game and how to teach the game. Well, Punch Black, who coached the, uh, he, he he came from the Quebec League, and uh, I remember he was he was in the Toll Shore off and everything like that. And I couldn't believe it. He was told the owner off, and um, he said that he was going to go to the, the National Hockey League and win the Stanley Cup. And I said, sure, 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 little ball guy. <laughs> By golly, next year he went to uh, Toronto Maple Leafs and he won. Uh, I think he was four Stanley Cups. So I'd have to say Punch Black was the. Um, uh, he knew how to handle people. Uh, and then he went to Nash, I think went to National Hockey League, and there was a few guys up there that he, he put the psychiatrist. But uh, he was he was a tough guy, and, but he was the best coach I think I ever I ever played for. 
You also got a chance to be a teammate of your brother, Dick. What was that experience like getting to play in a professional game with your brother? Well, I, my brother was he was he was three years younger. He was a rookie coming in, and, I, and I, how in the world he ever got into playing for Eddie Shore, I don't understand. But it was the year Punch was there, and it was Boston. Boston was in there one year. He was only there one year. And uh, Richard, uh, my brother, he played for Philadelphia for two years, and uh, and he played for Boston, I think, one year. So he was uh, he, he was a better hockey player. He was smarter than me too. He. He's a he's a principal and he was a principal in school too. So he he was a better hockey player and smarter in in in, uh, in life too. <laughs> so after almost twenty years of going to a rink somewhere, you find yourself out of hockey. First, you're a Cadillac salesman, then a construction worker, then a house painter. Uh, in the middle of 1971-72, you become the coach of the American Hockey League's Rochester Americans. How did that job come about? Well, I was unemployed, and I uh, I feel for all the guys that are unemployed because I was unemployed for six months, and and it's the worst feeling in the world. You feel you're a failure in life if you really want to work. And uh, I got a call from one of the lawyers there, Bob Clark, and he asked me if I I coached uh, high school hockey, uh, uh, and uh, we'd won the championship and everything. So I knew how to change lines. I remember my first time coaching uh, the high school. I was very, very nervous. You know, you know, you don't know how to change lines and everything. And I learned how to change lines and how to run a practice and everything in high school. So then he, he, um, then I made a comeback and I made a comeback and then I was fired and I couldn't get another job and it was terrible. And Bob Clark phoned me and asked me. Uh, eight owners had bought the Vancouver Canucks, uh, Rochester Americans, off the Vancouver Canucks, and did I want to coach? <laughs> did I want to coach any job? And he said fifteen thousand dollars. I think everybody else was getting about forty-five. And I hung up, and uh, and Rose said, "Well, why don't you be general manager, too?" So I phoned him right back, and I said, "I'll be general manager, too." He said, "Same money." So I was general manager and coach for fifteen grand, and happy to have it. Believe me. So I said to him, "I said, well, how many players do we have?" And he says, "One." And I said, "Well, who was that?" He says, "You." <laughs> so I was a scout too. So who came to my rescue and uh, Rochester was Emil Francis, who's coached the New York Rangers, and uh, I got a lot of guys that were go- that didn't that didn't make Providence, and they were on their way to Port Huron, I think, and I got them and uh, and thankful for them. It had to have been for Emil Francis. I I don't know where I'd been in the New York Rangers. And remember, they had a guy named Bob Kelly, and that's the one guy I wanted was Battleship Kelly. Wow. And. Um, I got I got him. I think they wouldn't in in um, Baltimore. They wouldn't pay him five hundred dollars. So he, I got him. And, and I mean Dennis Ball. I keep throwing these names out there. there. I know nobody knows him. Now Dennis uh, Ball I, I, was the number one me, scout. Here guess what? Got, trust me. Our audience knows because I, I, our show also goes out with a video component in a chat room. And one of our you know, loyal listeners, Barry Shelley, actually sent me this question just now while you're talking about this. He says, ask him about a player named Herman Karp. Herman always told me that Don signed him to a contract to Rochester without ever seeing him play. Always wanted to know if it was true. Yes, it was. And uh, <laughs> he, he was he was a terrific hockey player. He's still alive. He's still around. I hear him once in a while. And Herman Karp, he... He, right now he'd be making about seven million bucks uh, playing right now. He was he was uh, he was a finesse player like Jean Mattel. He reminded me of Jean Mattel. Wow! And 
So I remember all those guys. All right. And uh, so, see, I mean, so our listeners, when you mention players, they know it. Trust me. So you won Coach of the Year. Uh, the following year, the title of general manager was added. And in your third season behind the bench, you voted the AHL's Coach of the Year. Harry Sinden wants you to replace Bep Gwidlin, who resigned, but your loyalty to the Amherst was a stumbling block. Can you tell us, you know, why it was such a stumbling block and how you finally accepted the job to coach the Bruins? Well, actually, believe it or not, how stupid I was. I, 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 I did not. Uh, I wanted a job with Boston Bruins. Who wouldn't? But I, I, I thought I, I remained loyal to the Rochester Americans, and they told me, they said, look, we're not going to hold you back. We're making lots of money here and everything. And he said, you, you rescued us. So, uh, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to worry about it. You, you go. And I, I turned down Harry, uh, Sinden, I turned him down that right at the first. And then I, uh, I turned around after I talked to those guys and, uh, and Rose naturally. And, uh, geez, I remember she said, well, I don't have any clothes to go to the national hockey league. <laughs> and, and Timothy said, you mean we're going to meet Bobby Orr? And I said, yeah, me too. So I was really happy about all that. And, um, but Rochester, uh, what a great spot that was. And I, and, uh, and I owe everything to them and making a comeback there. And Doug Adams was a coach and uh, ended up firing me at the end. It was, it was, a, it was an intricate affair in Rochester, but um, I, lo- I love Rochester too. It's interesting because the day the deal is finalized, uh, here's the quote from the newspaper that day. I'm not going to change my coaching philosophy. I'm not going to change in any way. If I didn't think I could do the job, I never would have taken it. The thing is, to tell you the truth, I'm ready for Boston. Is Boston ready for me? So here's the question I have for you. Your coaching resume at that point is stellar. Your playing you know, resume was not bad, but it paled in comparison to what you did behind the bench. Was there ever a point in your minor league playing career that you had your same belief in your game as you did that day you got coached, you got hired to be a coach. Because those are, those are pretty, you know, you're 40 years old at that time, and that's your first job as a coach in the NHL. And that's a pretty ballsy statement to make, especially in Boston. No, I, I, didn't, I did not as a player. I, I, I had resigned myself to the American Hockey League. I was lucky. I felt I was in the line. But I, when I became coach, I was like I was born to be a coach. I just loved it. I just loved it being a coach. I could hardly wait till the game started, especially in Rochester. I, I just I thought it was great, and uh, so I, I, I. But I, I have to admit, I have to admit one thing. My first year in Boston, I did not do a good job. I, I thought I did a good job, but I, I just did not do a good job. I didn't. I went from the sweatshops of Rochester, and I went to and I was I was too impressed with what was going on in Boston. But the second year, I went right back to the way I was in Rochester, and that's when we made the first place every year. So uh, my first year, I don't think I did a good job at all, although Bobby Orr was fantastic. I mean, he, I, I mean, I, maybe I did a good job with him, but he was, uh, <laughs> I think, I, I'm thinking, yeah, he had 46 goals. Listen to this. This is the defense, and this is hard to believe, but uh, people listening. 46 goals. 89 assists, and he was plus 123, and he had over 100 minutes of penalties. <laughs> Can you imagine what he'd be worth today? Oh, I mean, uh, it was fantastic. So I did not do a good job my first year coaching. I thought I could have done a better job. 
So you mentioned Bobby Orr and his success, even though you said, you know, you think you could have done a better job. But what went into changing the philosophy there in Boston where they had had, had so much success before you brought a different style? Did you know that you were bringing that style from day one or did you have to adjust into it? Tell you the truth, the first year uh, they they said, "Don't worry, not Bobby Orr, but a few guys on the team. Don't worry, we'll be there when the bell rings." I I just wasn't tough enough. Uh, but the second year I was tough enough, and uh, and I'm well. Harry Sinnon, he told me, he says, "Look, I hired a guy that was that coached in Rochester. I want you to go back, and I, when we come back the second year, I want you to be that guy that uh, coached in Rochester." And, I remember I played that. I forget who was by the Stones. I think won't get fooled again. I played that over and over and over and over again, and I wasn't fooled again. And the second year we were first spot, and we were first spot every year. We were in the finals. Unfortunately, we ran into Montreal, who, I mean, uh, the greatest team of ever was in the National Hockey League. And I mean, that '76 team. I think they lost one game at home. Anyhow. Uh, Boston Bruins were great too. We were the second best team in the league. Absolutely, you know it's interesting because when Ryan brought that up, you you basically modeled your team in the playing style after your dog Blue, which was a feisty bull terrier. Um, you transitioned from a team that was at that point basically Orr and Esposito, both highly skilled scorers. Their impending departures had you remake the team with enforcers and grinders, which later became known as the Lunchpail Gang um, and the Big Bad Bruins. Espo and, and Vadney traded to the Rangers. How much input did you have on that trade, and was it something that uh, you might have been a little worried as, as they were like fan favorites, and now all of a sudden... You know, it could be viewed like, all right, new coach, he's pushing these guys out. You know, how much input did you have on that actual trade? I had a lot of input on it, and uh, we wouldn't have made first spot. Bobby was hurt at the time, and uh, Bobby Orr was hurt at the time. And uh, to get Park, I remember Park when he played in Buffalo for a while, and I remember playing junior, and uh, he had a bad knee. And I and uh, I remember, I, and he had a bad knee, and Jean Rattel, what a class guy he was from New York Rangers. And um, he had a bad back, but I knew they had to be babied a little, and um, I, I, I wouldn't have Park do practice once in a while, and Jean Mattel wouldn't practice in that, and, and I think Jean Mattel led the league, uh, led the team at scoring one time. So we were very fortunate, and I had a lot to do with it. I did not want to give away uh, Carol Vadney, who went to New York Rangers, because um, we wanted to give Dallas Smith, but uh, Emil wouldn't take him, and, but... Um, yeah, I didn't want. I did not want to give away uh, Carol Vadney because he he was a friend of mine and he was a good defenseman. But you know, to get a guy like Park and Rattel, I think it was Joe Zanussi called him the he called himself the, the greatest spare tire of all time. But anyhow, uh, to get those two guys, we had to give something up. And Phil, Phil was Dave. Phil Esposito was really something too. Phil had scored seventy six goals and sixty five goals uh, to the last two years. So. I mean, we weren't, you know, he, he, he wasn't chopped liver or anything like that. Yeah, I don't want you, uh, you know, you're talking to a Ranger fan here, and, and you can't insult me by saying you didn't want to give up Carol Vadney. You know, even if you gave up Carol Vadney, the fact that you got Rick Middleton for Ken Hodge more than makes up for it. So don't complain, okay? No complaining on no, that. No, that was the, <laughs> I remember, Harry, I, I had seen Ricky Middleton uh, play in uh, Providence, and um, he had log hair and looked terrible. And so Harry said, he, you, you know this guy Middleton? I said, yep. And uh, he said, I, re- I saw him play. I played against No, I coached against him. 
And he said, what kind of a guy is he? I said, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know how but he lives and everything. But I'll tell you one thing. He can go the one way, and that's offensive. I don't know about defensive, but he can go the one way. And uh, so they made the trade, and the very first game he got a hat trick. Yep. <laughs> he, was, he was a beauty. I had a trouble with him playing defensively, but uh, I'll tell you one thing, boy, he was a great hockey player. And how he's not in the Hall of Fame is beyond me. He got 500 goals, and he's still not in the Hall of Fame, which it's ridiculous. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Your approach of balance over brilliance reju- rejuvenated the Bruins. They continue to be one of the NHL's best teams during the latter half of the 70s, capturing the division title four straight seasons from 75-76 through 78-79. 77-78 season, you coached the Bruins team to an NHL record of 11 players with 20 goals or more in a single team. You won the Jack Adams Award as the NHL Coach of the Year in 76. Bruins made the Stanley Cup Finals twice, both times, as you mentioned, losing to the arch rivals the Montreal Canadiens in both 77 and 78 the first was a four-game sweep the second a six-game series was one of those cup losses more devastating than the other Um, and then looking back all these years later isn't you know making it to the finals you know I've spoken to so many players over the years and when they don't win that cup there's like this tremendous amount of regret and, and and remorse but isn't just making the finals, especially back in the day, something that you can take immense pride in? No, in, in hockey we don't go for, uh, and, and you'll you'll see uh, if you're you have to win it. It doesn't make any difference whether you make the final. It, it does. It, it, you sh- it should, but uh, if you don't win it, we don't go for uh, silver medal or anything like that. We, <laughs> if you don't make the gold. And uh, that was a tough one. Which one was the toughest was the last one. Was we were, I think we were, we were winning. Uh, we had them, and we really did have them uh, with, uh, I think, two minutes to go, around two minutes to go. And uh, we could call for too many men on the ice, which was my fault. And, uh, and uh, so Fur tied it up. I remember Zinger, he tied it up, only he could have scored that one. And then they won it in overtime. So that was the the one that hurt the worst. I'll, I'll tell you. That's a '79 semifinal, which would have been interesting. Yeah, that was the, that was the semifinals. Right. But anybody who won that uh, was going to win it because uh, we were two the two powerful teams were playing. The, I know it was in the I know it was in the uh, semifinals, but it was uh, whoever won that one was going to win it because we we were the we two two powerhouse teams. Yeah, and you would. You would. It was playing. a tough losing that one, I'll tell you. You, which would have set up the ultimate playoff, the, the Stanley Cup Finals, would have been Park and Rattel versus Espo and Vadney because the Rangers had already advanced to the Cup. So that yeah. that would have been pretty interesting. So you become a national icon in Canada in the broadcast booth. Were you surprised at how quickly you became uh, a legend there in Canada in the broadcast booth? Well, I, well, first of all, I don't know if I'm a legend or not. I was in it a long time. But I, I I did have a lot of fun at it, and I wasn't on much. My son Timothy says uh, the secret of my success was a, a, uh, not being on long, and I was I was not on long. I was on maybe about seven minutes, and that's it. And uh, I remember I started out. I did color, and I loved doing color. I really did love doing color, and uh, I got in a lot of trouble doing color. And <laughs> Ralph Mellaby, uh, who was the head guy, <laughs> said that. Well, we'll keep him on something called Coach Coach's Corner for five or seven minutes at the end of the first period, and he won't get in any trouble. Little did he know. But anyhow, <laughs> that, that's um, that, that's uh, that's how Coach's Corner came about. I, but I, when I first went to 
uh, coaches. Uh, when I first went to Hockey Night in Canada, I did uh, color. Wow. So looking back in everything you've accomplished in the game, both on the ice, behind the bench, behind the mic, what are the things you're most proud of for each of them? I think just the, the idea of uh, coaching the Bobby Orr, of, of, and, and well, I didn't coach him, I opened the door for him, but being with Bobby Orr and, um, and, and having his greatest year with me, I, I think I did something right there. I, I think that, uh, that, was, that made me awful proud. And be, believe me, just getting off unemployment, I, I, I remember, like I told you earlier, I, I was unemployed for, for about seven months, and I remember when, when he made the call, he said, do you want to coach? I think that I, just to just to get into coaching and being with in hockey was just great, and it's kind of tough right now. Like I said, that uh, there's there's a, there's a lot more behind me than there is ahead of me, and uh, but hey, listen, I always wanted to go out in my shield. I didn't want to, you know, say poor old Don, he's gone, he's gone, and everything. I went out fight, down fighting, and I never apologized, and I don't intend to, and uh, so that's what I'm proud of. At least I I, I went out in my shield. So you're in the AHL Hall of Fame, and in Canada, the hotbed of hockey, there's no other figure held in higher regard than Don Cherry. Consider that in 2004 when the NBC Network, CBC, ran their poll of the greatest Canadians of all time. You ranked number seven ahead of any hockey player. So take a second and think about that. Think of all the great Montreal Canadiens or Toronto Maple Leafs (laughs) players ahead of all of them. And if you've ever had the pleasure of being in a bar in Canada, you were taken aback by the ultimate silence during the first intermission of every hockey night in Canada because every person in that bar is listening to what you have to say. So to a certain extent, you're really the voice of Canada. Are you surprised that you were not in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Oh, no, I, I wouldn't be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I, I remember Dale Hunter, uh, I, uh, Dale Hunter played, and people remember him. And he said, "I'm not their kind, and I'm not their kind in the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame." And uh, no, it, it was at the start. I thought, "Holy smokes, I've done enough here." But then, then I realized that I will never be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm just not their kind. That's all. And uh, you know, it doesn't, doesn't. It bothered me at the start that I wasn't in it, but uh, it doesn't bother me now. It, I think it, it's rather comical that some of the people they put in, and uh, so it doesn't bother me at all. And and as far as being the greatest Canadian, I'm not wasn't the greatest Canadian I, because uh, maybe I was great at that time. I was most maybe most popular at the time, and I think they they just did it to tick off CBC. <laughs> so I, I I don't think I was the greatest Canadian. Uh, believe me. Now, so we know so much has changed with the way the games are being broadcast now with the hub cities and everything, but with your first chance in almost 30 years to watch as a spectator, is there something about the broadcast that you appreciate, that you miss, that used to be in the game and is not there anymore, something like that? No, I, I think it's uh, pretty good now, and, and like I say, watch the games now. I watched them all day and, and watched them last night. I thought that, uh, you know, no no crowd and everything, I thought it would be terrible, but uh, it, it, some of them do seem like an outdoor game, but uh, the games, I think the players have forgotten about the crowd and everything, and they're, they're playing great. So, no, I, 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 I think the broadcast is pretty good now. It's not as good as I was. I mean, I was the best, but uh, uh, they, they, um, they're, they're pretty good. Everybody protects everybody. Everybody says everything, especially now. <laughs> you better protect yourself the way things are now. And... Um, so no, I I, uh, I I I my days were numbered. I think because and I, I 
I think that, uh, you know, that, that uh, it was so quick. I mean, I just did it Saturday night, and I think I was fired Sunday. So it was pretty quick, and my days were numbered, and my, my type of broadcasting, I don't think uh, when, I, when I do the games, uh, I was a little tougher on the players, and players I liked, I, I stood up for them a little more. So my, my uh, how would I say it, my uh, way of, of, of broadcasting uh, was biting the dust. Uh, I, I think um, the way it worked, it, um, it, I made it easy for them. How, how about that? I'll just say <laughs> I made it easy for them. So let me ask you a question. I, I don't know what year the suits went from Lindsey Nelson to Lindsey Nelson on steroids. How many of those suits do you still own? And do you do you wear them anywhere else other than when you were doing Coach's Corner? No, I, and you know, I, I, I my daughter, uh, believe my daughter has a she, my daughter Cindy has a, a dog rescue, and uh, she said, Dad, how about putting up some of your jackets for um, for uh, uh, you know people can bid on? So that you know, I don't wear them any other place except. To, I better not. I wore them. Uh, no, I don't wear them. Any, I don't do banquets anymore or anything like that. So I don't wear them. And I, I and uh, she took twelve of them and she's got them up for bid. And uh, I put I put my shirt with them and my tie with them, my cufflinks and the whole deal. So no, I, that's the only thing I do with my suit, my jackets now. Uh, I am going to have to bid on one of those because I, I'll tell you the, the truth, Coach. You know, uh, I'm trying to think how many years ago uh, the, the, the Frontenacs actually did a tribute to you and, and their uniforms were one of your jackets. It was patterned as one yeah. of your jackets. It was the, to me, it was the greatest hockey uniform I ever saw. And they actually you <laughs> yeah, know, auctioned them off. Yeah. Yeah, it, was, it was the plaid. It was, it, was, it was brutal, but it was the best thing I've ever seen. Uh, I, I yeah. lost out. Yeah, boy, that. well, you know what's going on. You must have done some research. Hey, you know more, more than I things I have I've already forgotten. But uh, it, uh, yeah, I remember they did that. They had a shirt and tie. The sweater yeah. was a shirt and tie, and um, yeah, I signed a few of those there for their auction too. So I think I think Dougie Gilmore was the the president. Yes, he was. There, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, Doug- yeah, Dougie was. So I think he did it. I tell you the truth. Yeah, Dougie was on the show. Uh, I think two or three weeks ago. All right, last question. I'm going to put you on the spot. Which two teams survived this? Crazy playoff uh, system and make it to the Stanley Cup Finals this year, and why? Well, anybody that says they can pick the the, the Stanley Cup is is lying. And um, I I still you know Boston Bruins I still think the Boston Bruins, and although Washington doesn't look too good right now, I'll still pick those two guys in the finals. I mean, they to me they are the two best teams, and I think Boston's kind of getting a. Um, a little shot here that you know they ended up first last in the last year the 63 points I think it was, so I'll I'll take I'll take those two, and I'll take the Boston Bruins winning this year, as long as uh, Rask isn't hurt uh, too badly and he gets back playing. So, uh, it, it, it but anybody that says they can win, they can predict this. It used to be it was Montreal, the Islanders, the Philly, or or the Boston Bruins, but not anymore, boy. Anybody's in the finals. Remember, L, remember L.A., the, they were in it. They made it by one point and got in it. So I'll, I, in the finals, I'll say it'll be Boston and Washington again, and hopefully Boston will win. Awesome. Don, thanks so much for your time tonight. More importantly, thanks for decades of service to the sport of hockey. Where can people listen to your great podcast these days? Well, they, they do just listen to Don Cherry's uh, podcast, and, um, and, uh, and Spotify, I think, is on, and Tim 
My Tim Tim knows how to do all that, and we have a lot of fun. It's about fifty about fifty minutes long, and we we just reminisce and we go over things like that. So, but I want to thank you for having me on, and and I got to tell you one thing: you you remember more things than I remember, and I forget all those. So it was just great, and thanks very much for having me on. Absolutely, my pleasure, and a huge thrill for me. Big fan of yours, Don. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Okay, all the best, Toulouse. You, you got Don Cherry, the one and only grapes. <laughs>